Welcome back to What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. This is so funny to do intros without Dr. Bob because usually I just make silly faces at him and just start laughing for no reason. I don't know what's wrong with me. Guys, honestly, I'm just so excited to talk to other adults when I'm home with my kids all day. And I know mothers out there totally get what I'm saying. There are just times where you're like, it's a grown up. Oh my God, this is exciting. So I think whenever I got together with Dr. Bob to do podcasts, I was just silly and goofy because I was just like happy to be out of my house or happy to be with somebody over the age of six. You get what I'm saying. Anyway, I'm back with another episode on what they aren't telling you, which of course is a podcast that deals with social and political issues, often controversial, if not almost always, possibly taboo. You know, I don't mind going into this stuff because this is where I feel like the dirty work is. This is where the real like grit is. This is where we learn about things and then we have these uncomfortable conversations. I personally really enjoy them. Maybe that's because I'm a sociology and communications major from UCLA. Maybe that's why studying human behavior I find really interesting. So today what I want to talk about is the coronavirus vaccine. I want to talk a little bit about both what Dr. Fauci has said about it and what Bill Gates has said about it. Now, there's a lot of information that has been thrown out about this vaccine, specifically early on. So what really happened early on was at the beginning of the epidemic, there was an immediate concern for where's the vaccine? Let's get on a vaccine. And multiple companies started manufacturing one, including teams from Peter Hotez. And um, I think even Dr. Fauci was working with some teams and Bill Gates was involved in this, which that's kind of its own thing. But nonetheless, the focus was on a vaccine. Now, many people who deal with vaccines like Paul Offit and even Peter Hotez said, there's no way we can have a safe vaccine for this for at least 12 to 18 months. Now, of course, 12 to 18 months, we were just two weeks into lockdown and everybody was already losing their minds. The idea of 12 to 18 months was just seems so far away. And remember, this is not the first SARS coronavirus. There was already another one in 2003. And they've been working on coronavirus vaccines for over a decade and have not been successful ever, ever. Because there are other coronaviruses like the common cold. And those particular viruses mutate often. So coming up with a vaccine that works is just not something they've been able to do before. But obviously the world is watching this time. So you've got the best and the brightest working on it. Everybody's competing to sort of get to that vaccine. And the idea is to rush it. So one of the first things they did in rushing it was they skipped animal trials. Now, that is not something that usually happens. And Paul Offit likes to say that vaccines typically go through 15 to 20 years worth of safety trials, long-term safety trials, to make sure that they are good for universal population use. And now we're looking at a virus that has affected 200 countries. So it's all over the world at the same time, apparently, which is... So shocking because this has really never happened like this before, not in this speed that it has happened. 
So they skip animal trials. They go right to human trials. Why is that a problem? It's a problem because when they skipped the animal trials, looking back at the SARS vaccine that they were trying to work on, when they were trying to formulate this vaccine and they had animal trials, it had disastrous results. Animals died. Lots of problems happened. It was a total disaster. To skip that would almost be like saying, we don't want anybody knowing if that happens again, so let's get right on to humans, which in the end is just one big experiment, right? We have no idea how this is going to work. And which vaccine are they even using? I mean, at that time, they already started human trials within, God, I want to say four to six weeks, which is so, so fast. But anyway, so this big discussion of a vaccine is like, well, if you get COVID-19, we don't know if you develop immunity or not. We don't know if that immunity and the antibodies are going to last and protect you from reinfection again, or if this is something that's going to mutate. And what a lot of people don't seem to understand, I saw people posting things like, oh, you think you're safe because you've had COVID-19? Turns out you can get reinfected again. This person got reinfected, whatever it was. That's my voice I do for people that are ignorant. (laughs) So um, what people are failing to understand is if your own body with wild infection cannot create antibodies that will protect you from a future infection, then the vaccine will never work. It will never work because the foundation of how vaccines are created are literally based on producing antibodies to protect you from reinfection. So if the wild virus won't do it, then the lab-created version of a vaccine is not going to do it because that's artificial immunity. Vaccine-induced immunity is artificial immunity, not natural immunity. So it was funny to see people say, oh, yeah, you think you have protection from having had it, but guess what? looks like you might not. And those are the same people going, we can get back to normal once the vaccine's here. And it doesn't make any sense because the same ideology works for both. They either both work or neither of them work. And that could be the case. A common cold mutates so quickly that we keep having common colds because it's not like a one and done thing like measles would be. Certain viruses mutate faster. If that's the case, then the vaccine's not going to work and you're going to be trying to match strains like the flu vaccine and you're just going to be guessing. It's going to be guesswork every single year. So Fauci had an article that came out recently where he admitted that the vaccine will give only about three to six months of protection. Okay, so this matches the earlier comments from Bill Gates, which I'll get into directly from his blog, where he talked about only a few months of immunity. So if that's true, if it'll only be three to six months, that means that Fauci, this is according to Dr. Fauci, if that's true, that the immunity will only be three to six months, the coronavirus will have to be an annual vaccine like the flu shot. And a lot of people have an issue with the flu shot because of the risk, the adverse events, and how ineffective it is. It was 9% matching against the strong strains this past year. And there are only about 47% of people, even with this mass marketing, there are still only about 47% of the population that opts in to the flu vaccine. They want that number to be 70 to 80%, but they really have a hard time getting people to accept it because it doesn't really work. So if you have another vaccine that has to try to guess the strains because it's mutating or 
that just doesn't seem to create antibodies strong enough to prevent infection if exposed and only lasts, the immunity that it does create only lasts about three to six months, that means you're going to have to get this every single year. And who knows the other ingredients that are in it? I don't know that everybody would be okay with that. I don't think the public who's waiting for the magic vaccine understands this could be an annual vaccine. And what about for children? I just saw an article today that said this vaccine might not work for older people very well, so children are going to have to get it to protect their grandparents. Now, that just doesn't make any sense at all, obviously, because typically the ones that are at risk are grandparents, the age of grandparents are in long-term care facilities or nursing homes, and there aren't a lot of children really visiting those places. The kind of exposure they would get are from people that work there. So to vaccinate an entire generation of children for a virus that does not affect children negatively almost at all, shockingly, almost at all, and this could be a condition of school entry, makes no sense to protect the older people that the vaccine wouldn't work for directly. And I'm sure they probably understand an annual vaccine would be too risky for elderly that already have underlying conditions. The flu shot is very risky for elderly even though they say because they have underlying conditions, they should get it. And if you guys haven't checked out, by the way, the podcast I have with Dr. Rob Sears, I'm sure many of you have, but if you haven't, it's called the Vaccine Conversation Podcast, also on iTunes and Spotify and everything else. If you want to get more information in this, this discussion about vaccines, studies, regulatory agencies, all that stuff, we have over 100 episodes that we've posted, um, great interviews and stuff with researchers as well. And we kind of go into this topic, which is why. I'm kind of able to talk about it, if you're wondering. But anyway, so here's the quote from Dr. Fauci. He says, or here's the quote from the article about Dr. Fauci. It says, the White House health advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, says he worries about the durability of a potential coronavirus vaccine, saying there's a chance it may not provide long-term immunity. If COVID acts like other coronaviruses, quote, It likely isn't going to be a long duration of immunity, Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, said during an interview Tuesday with JAMA editor Howard Bochner. When you look at the history of coronavirus, he says, the common coronaviruses that cause the common cold, the reports in literature are that the durability of immunity that's protective ranges from three to six months to almost always less than a year, he said. That's not a lot of durability and protection. So the other thing I read in the New York Times about a month ago was when the vaccine becomes widely available for the public, they want at least 95% of the population to get this vaccine, wait for it, in order for it to work. They want 95% of the population. Now, this really is the world's population, by the way. So over 7 billion people to get this vaccine in order for it to work. They said basically it won't work unless everybody does it. So let's think about that. The flu shot is the most advertised vaccine. The amount of money spent on the PR campaign for encouraging people to get their flu shot is unreal. And part of that comes from the fact that the flu vaccine does not 
last until the, the next year. So they would be losing a ton of money. They make about 155 million doses of the flu vaccine in the United States every single year. So now we've got 47% of the population on average that gets the flu vaccine, 47%. But what they are saying is, hey, guys, if you all don't get this coronavirus vaccine, it's not going to work for anybody. They want to double, double the amount of people that actually get the coronavirus vaccine compared to what the flu shot is. So here's what's so ironic about all of this, okay? Influenza is also deadly, okay? But it's not just deadly for elderly and people with underlying conditions. It's deadly for children. It's deadly for teenagers, and it's deadly for young adults. Coronavirus is not at all. In fact, the CDC came out saying that the fatality rate for under 20 years old is so statistically insignificant, it is comparable to 0.0%. Now, I've never seen a virus that doesn't kill children, at least sometimes. Even children with underlying health conditions are not dying of coronavirus. Now, they tried to have that Kawasaki-like disease thing that they were relating to this, right? You guys remember when that was a big deal and all of a sudden that news has dropped off now. They wanted to tie kids into this and danger for children into this some way. There's just really no way to do it with COVID. So the flu vaccine, you've got 47% taking it. COVID, which is technically less risky for everybody under 60 years old on average, they want to double the amount of people that get that vaccine, and you'll have to get it every single year. And this is a virus that has a 99.5% or higher, depending on your age group, recovery rate. In South Korea, the mortality rate was 0.02% for people under 45. 0.02. Two hundredths of a percent. I mean... Considering people recover from this, for the most part, why force an entire population to have to get that vaccine for the handful of people that are at risk? And then not just have to get it like one time, you have to get it every single year. How about just the technical aspect of it? How can you get that many people to do anything? How can you get 95% of the population to do anything, let alone do it every single year? That seems like an impossible feat, if you ask me. But anyway, let's get on to Bill Gates. Okay, so Bill Gates put out a blog about two months ago with his mission to vaccinate everyone, okay? And this is what he said. I'm gonna give you some direct quotes from the blog, which I heard has since been turned private and not accessible, but I'll give you these Quotes because I took it at the time. So he said he wants to build vaccine factories in all countries around the world. And that governments who are already suffering this extreme economic crisis need to find a way to fund the building of these vaccine factories. Okay, this is one of the things that has to be at the beginning of all this for him. So again, we're talking about a virus that has that 99.5 to 99.9% recovery rate. He wants to make sure that 7 billion doses are made for every single person on the planet. This is without fail. There are no people that would be excluded. And 
he says we cannot get back to normal until we do it. Okay, so here are some of the quotes. He says, it's looking like the RNA vaccines are one of the most promising options for COVID. This is a brand new technology, by the way. There's a catch, though, he says. We don't know for sure if RNA is a viable platform for vaccines. Okay, so he's saying they're going to try to go the RNA route, but we don't even know if this is a viable platform. So not only are they trying something completely new and rushing through the safety protocol, they don't even know if it's going to work. And they're already expecting every single person on the planet to get it and get it possibly every single year. That seems shady to me. The next thing he says, the COVID vaccine might not be a perfect vaccine yet, and that's okay. And I'm thinking, that's okay with whom? Who is that okay for? If it's not a perfect vaccine, that means it's not perfectly working and it's not perfectly safe. And my guess is it's nowhere close to perfect in either of those categories. So how is that okay? He continues, the smallpox vaccine is the only vaccine that's wiped an entire disease off the face of the earth, but it's also pretty brutal to receive. A small but not insignificant number developed more serious reactions. Of course, this included death, by the way. The smallpox vaccine was far from perfect, but it got the job done. The COVID-19 vaccine might be similar. I feel like he's already forecasting that this is going to be a potentially dangerous vaccine, but there's going to be a level of acceptable collateral damage. This is what this kind of stuff feels like to me. Who would be that honest? Hey, this vaccine's probably going to suck for a lot of people. It could actually cause some pretty bad things, but you know what? Some vaccines aren't perfect and it's going to get the job done. And I think COVID's going to be the same way. That seems embarrassing to admit that, honestly. The fact that he can do it without thinking makes me think he's normalizing the idea that this is going to hurt a portion of the population. Then he says, we have a bit more wiggle room with efficacy. I suspect a vaccine that is at least 70% effective will be enough to stop the outbreak. A 60% effective vaccine is usable, but we still might see some localized outbreaks. Anything under 60% is unlikely to create enough herd immunity to stop the virus. Now, something I find funny here is we know that natural herd immunity looks at about a 60 to 70 percent rate of infection for a population to create enough immunity to stop outbreaks. We know that's true. But we don't see those same numbers in vaccine-induced immunity because artificial immunity doesn't have the same response as natural immunity. So those numbers have to be a lot higher when you're using artificial immunity, when you're trying to stimulate artificial immunity, which is why they keep throwing around that 95% number. You know, originally when they looked at measles, they found that when there was about 63% coverage in a population, there would be no more outbreaks. So they used that number originally, and then when the vaccine was given universally, that percentage of compliance did not stop the outbreaks. And so they kept upping the number. 70, 80, 90, now all of a sudden we're at 95% needed to comply in order for the vaccine to work to create what 60% of natural infection would have created within a population. He says, it's possible we do something similar to the shingles vaccine, which means he's talking about increasing the dose in the elderly. The shingles vaccine has a higher concentrated dose for the elderly. 
Again, we're talking about people that are weaker, more fragile, and have underlying conditions. There is a higher dose flu vaccine also that has been very controversial because, you know, a higher dose means more ingredients. More ingredients means more risk. I mean, you can't really get around that. That's increased risk for a more fragile community of people. So he said we might do something similar to the shingles vaccine for COVID. We might increase the dose in the elderly. But he says, and he says this just straight out. He said, although it might come with more side effects. He literally says that in a quote. He's acknowledging it might come with more side effects. He's not saying that's a bad thing. He's not saying we're not going to do it because it could come with more side effects. He's saying we're going to do it even though it's going to have more side effects. How is that not concerning? He says, how long does it last? Ideally, the vaccine will give you long lasting protection, but we might end up with one that only stops you from getting sick for a couple of months, like the seasonal flu vaccine, which protects you for about six months. He's already admitting again here a few months ago, this vaccine might only protect you for a couple of months. Can you imagine vaccinating 7 billion people for a couple months of protection for a virus that has a 99.5 and higher percent recovery rate that does not affect children and almost never anywhere in the world kills children, almost never? Does that make any sense to anybody? He says, even if it isn't perfect, we will continue working to improve it. After that happens, I suspect the COVID-19 vaccine will become part of the routine newborn immunization schedule. This is a huge red flag. Huge red flag. If a vaccine has three to six months protection, what is the reason to give it to a newborn? Okay, remember, babies are already receiving over 30 doses in their first year. So now you're going to add this on top of it for a virus that does not kill babies. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And this is what they do with certain vaccines is they make them part of the ACIP schedule for regular CDC recommended immunizations. And this becomes part of your well baby visit. They do that because it's a lot harder for people to opt out because a lot of parents don't even know what their child is getting. It's a slick way to sort of mandate something without really mandating it because it becomes that recommended series of vaccines that's added, again, to your regular pediatrician appointments. Most people don't even know what things are for. And if it only has a couple months of protection, that means now this baby's getting it as an infant and one and two and three and four and five and six and every other year after that for a virus that doesn't even hurt children, teens, or young adults. To me, the only reason to have a vaccine weighing the pros and cons of it is if the risk is greater than the risk of the adverse reactions and the risk of the actual disease, the prevalence of that disease actually places your child at risk of death or serious complication. Not a mild illness, but something that would lead to serious complication. That's the only time to consider, in my opinion, whether or not to give your child a vaccine because there are going to be risks with every single dose. So to add a vaccine yearly for a virus that does not hurt children, does not kill children, 
very rarely hospitalizes them makes zero sense to me. He says, quote, we need to manufacture and distribute at least 7 billion doses of the vaccine. In order to stop the pandemic, we need to make the vaccine available to almost every person on the planet. I mean, this is just crazy. There's no other vaccine that's available to every other person on the planet. And you know what? To me, that only makes sense if this is life-threatening for every person on the planet. But it's not. It's not life-threatening for over 99% of people on the planet. I mean, it's almost laughable when you break it down like this. But of course, it's not laughable because he's serious and he's really moving forward on this. And most people aren't even dissecting this and breaking this down. He says, quote, what we can do now is build different kinds of vaccine factories to prepare. Governments need to quickly find a mechanism for making funding for this available. Where are these governments going to get this money? Honestly, everybody's suffering. Everybody's economy has been completely shut down and everybody is struggling. Where are they going to come up with money to make vaccine factories for a vaccine for a virus that isn't even killing very many people? And then he says, quote, most people agree that health workers should get the vaccine first, but who gets it next? Older people, teachers, workers in essential jobs. I think that low income countries should be some of the first to receive it because people will be at much higher risk of dying in those places. Melinda Gates has recently come out saying she thinks African-American people, black communities should get it right after the healthcare workers. They should be the next ones because she said that they are disproportionately killed by COVID-19 virus. I'm pretty sure there are many people out there that are thinking that's not a good idea. I will not be experimented on considering some of the stuff that's happened in Africa and in India with the Gates vaccine programs. Finally, he says, eventually, though, we're going to scale this thing up so that the vaccine is available to everyone. And then he says, we will be able to get back to normal. So essentially, Bill Gates is saying, we will not get back to normal until everybody complies and everybody receives this vaccine that is going to give you a couple months of protection. We've heard governors across different states in the country say, we're not getting back to normal until there's a vaccine. School is not going to be normal until there's a vaccine, which doesn't make any sense again because kids are not affected by COVID the way they're affected by influenza. Epidemiologists have said, influenza is primarily spread by children. COVID has not been shown to be spread by children. Why would our schools not be able to get back to normal until there's a vaccine? That doesn't quite make sense. And again, we're not talking about Ebola here with something that's airborne and kills one out of every two people. If that was the case, this would be a completely different conversation and I probably would never leave my house. That's one of the things I argue for the people that are so scared still that do not go out without their masks and they shame everybody who doesn't wear a mask. If you're that scared, why even leave your house? Like if you think it's so airborne that when you walk your dog, you need a mask, why would you leave? Because if that stuff's like in the air like that and it can kill me, you better believe I'm not going anywhere. I always find that so odd. Then why be out? Why are you out at, in public areas? Why are you out at Walmart? Don't go to a place with a bunch of people if you're so scared about it. But this virus is not like Ebola. And so it doesn't make sense why we would need a vaccine for 7 billion people to have every single year. 
This discussion about the vaccine obviously is an ongoing one. It's going to continue. I'll be curious to see how many different companies bring a vaccine to the table and how they're going to decide who is going to be the universal one that gets made available to the public. I mean, with the swine flu of 2009, that entire epidemic basically died out before the vaccine could really get to enough people. And there has been some talk of this virus and this epidemic dying down in places where it's not going to allow them to make a successful vaccine because this virus is dying down so quickly. And again, if it's mutating and becoming weaker and stuff like that, then they're going to be missing all the strains and it's not going to be worth anything by the time it's available for the public. Something behind all this seems a little strange to me, though. I mean, Bill Gates is not a doctor. Why is he involved so heavily in the vaccine program? Why is he asking the entire world's population to get a vaccine for something that is not deadly for almost everybody? Doesn't really make sense to me. And now you have Fauci confirming, yes, three to six months, tops, protection. I mean, I wasn't looking at getting this vaccine anyway because I'm not afraid of getting coronavirus if I have not had it already. I'm not afraid of it because I honestly feel like the best way you can have protection is being able to be exposed to it and handle it as a mild case. I don't think you can hide from a virus. Like even staying inside your house, all it takes is one person to deliver something, a neighbor, something. It's so easy with highly contagious viruses to transfer it. So you'll never really be able to hide from it, even if you stay inside your house for the rest of your life. We've seen lots of people sheltering in place that have gotten sick. So knowing you can't hide from it, that seems like the best thing you can do is prepare your body for it. So that's kind of my outlook. And I wasn't planning on getting the vaccine at all. But there are people that were planning on it. And so I, for those people, if you're listening, I'm wondering now what you feel about it. If that vaccine's required every single year, would you still get it? Would you get it once but not again? Would you get it every few years? Would you be concerned with the other ingredients that are in? What if there are high levels of aluminum, for example? We know aluminum is neurotoxic. And if you had to get that every year on top of, remember, we're getting aluminum exposure in all sorts of other ways. So it's not like that's the only aluminum you'll be getting. And having to get it every year is going to add up over time. So for those who thought about getting a vaccine, I wonder if you're going to change your mind now knowing it's only going to give you three months protection. I think a lot of people assumed you're going to have this one vaccine one time. You're never going to get this horrible thing and you're good to go. But that that's just not how it's going to turn out. So would they really be able to get 95% of people to comply with getting this? Not unless they mandate it. And what would warrant them mandating it? considering how mild it is for the majority of people. I have a lot of questions about this whole thing. Something seems shady to me. But anyway, I'll keep following up on this vaccine because I find this pretty interesting. And again, if my life is being put on hold and life can't come back to normal until there's a vaccine, I'd like to know why, considering, again, the virus has a high recovery rate. The vaccine is probably not going to be very safe. And we already know it might have efficacy problems and is going to be required every single year. I don't know. Something's not adding up to me. Anyway, that's it for me today on the COVID-19 vaccine with Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates and their information. I will post this episode on Facebook page for what they aren't telling you. And you can write comments and stuff under there. And I'll try to get to each of them and 
try to remember to post links to these articles if I remember at the time. I'm not going to be as good about this as we are on the vaccine conversation because that's a very science-based podcast at all times. So we include the links. And honestly, Dr. Bob has a lot more time than I do. And he's so good about updating that. And I'll send him my sources and stuff. So I don't really have the time to do that for this, to be honest with you. But if it's crucial to you to get a piece of information I've left out, you can always message me on social media. I'm running like three full-time jobs at this point. So I'm doing the best that I can. And hopefully those that have followed me already understand I'm very sourced well-sourced database so you can trust the stuff that I'm saying and I usually always in my post in the first comment or two put the source so that you can access it for yourself and a lot of what I talk about here will be something I may have already posted about anyway that's it for me today thank you guys for listening another episode of what they aren't telling you with Melissa Floyd and I will see you next time